share with us today. So I do encourage you to stop by her table and visit with her following service today and learn more about uh, the ministry of Word Made Flesh uh, there in Romania. Uh, Would you join me in a word of prayer before we have this morning's message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, hearing about these children who are suffering, uh, just the idea of a child being abandoned by their own parents, uh, how desperate do things need to be for you to leave your kid? Now, I'm not talking about when they're in middle school, okay? Um, Middle school can be pretty desperate, but uh, for different reasons. But I mean, what would it take a mom a dad to leave their children someplace because they're trying to find safer, better work. Uh, that would be so difficult. I mean, all the parents I know, I know that, that that would be a difficult decision. Even when I was a youth pastor and parents would come and share with me, ah, my child, I don't understand what's wrong with them. The reason they're talking to me about their kid is because of their great love for them. The reason they're so exasperated by their kid is because they're concerned for them. And when I watch things like that video, when I hear Michaela, when when I watch the evening news, when I hear the stories going on at the border with different things with families, it's so easy for me, I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to have a calloused, hardened heart. It's so easy for me to look at those videos and kind of briefly that maybe they, they make their way in just briefly when there's a super cute kid that talks about why do you like to come and they say art and I just brief opening of my heart. But then it quickly goes back to the calloused hard heart. And perhaps it's because I don't know what to do with suffering. Perhaps that's at the core of it because I've grown up in the Walt Disney world of the world. You have grown up in the Disneyland of world history. And we, for the most part, I mean, there's suffering here. Don't hear me incorrectly. There's definitely suffering here. Many of you are going through difficult times of suffering. But for the most part, for the most part, many of us are shocked when we go through suffering. We're surprised when we suffer. And there are parts of this world that people are not shocked and not surprised that they're suffering. Uh, Today we're going to take a look at the first chapter of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27, 28, 29, and 30. And Paul, if you remember, is writing from prison to his friends back in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony, and it's very loyal to Rome. It's been given to veterans from the Roman army. It has been settled by people who are patriots for Rome. And the reason that this has happened is because it's quite a long ways from Rome, and they need folks on the uh, frontier who are loyal to Rome to help with any uprisings that might occur. 
And this is what Philippi was. A lot of civic pride, very proud to be Romans. I think we have that in common with them today. I think we are all proud to be Americans. And that's not a bad thing. It's a normal thing to be a patriot, to love one's own country. And these people love their country. And Paul is writing to this little fledgling church in Philippi. It's been about 10 years, perhaps, since he himself was in Philippi and started this church. It was actually the first church started in Eastern Europe. And he's writing to them. Paul's in prison. They've sent a guy, Epaphroditus, or E. Diddy, as I like to call him. And E. Diddy is checking up on Paul, his, his well-being. And he also brings a gift from the church in Philippi. And Paul is writing a thank you note. He had a chat with E. Diddy too. He's, he's heard some of the stuff that's going on in Philippi. And some of the stuff that's going on in Philippi is the church is being persecuted. The church is suffering. It's hard to be a Christian in Philippi. There's also people in the church that are really poor, flirting with poverty even. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And some of these people, this is a new experience because they've lost their income, because they've lost their job. They don't know what to do. Some of them have, have been in jail. There are difficult, hard things that are going on in Philippi. And Paul also hears that there's an argument in church. Now, this argument isn't such an argument that it's about the gospel. It's not about something that is an essential of the faith. Because when there's arguments about the essentials of the faith, Paul's real clear, have nothing to do with them. What he means by that is kick them out of the church and then try to win them back to Jesus. (laughs) Don't treat them like a believer because they're not. They have walked away from the faith. So this is a different type of argument, a different type of discussion going on in the church of Philippi. Maybe they're upset about the color of the carpet decision by the carpet committee. Uh, Maybe there's some discussion, some group is trying to get this thing done, and another group is saying, no, we aren't interested. In fact, later in this letter, Paul calls out two women who are apparently so upset with one another Everybody in the church knows it. Judea and Syntyche. He says, I plead with them that they would get along. How'd you like to be called out in the Bible that way? Right? I mean, if my name was in the Bible, that's probably why I'd be in there, you know. I'd be like, and tell Steve to quit being dumb, right? But Judea and Syntyche, there is an argument going on between these women, it seems. There's factions in the church. And both these women love Jesus. And both these women love Paul. But these women don't like each other too much. And this is the first time where Paul starts to turn from his circumstances and what's going on with him and thanking the people for what they've done for him. And he starts to be pastoral. And he starts to talk into their situation. He wants... He wants to care for them from afar, from prison. 
And so he writes this. Whatever happens, okay, what, what is he talking about? Whatever happens to him, remember, he's in jail, he's in prison, and it could end up that if he is found guilty, he could be executed or he could be released. It's not clear. And he said, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. And Paul is saying, whatever happens, I'm in a no-lose situation. It's going to work out fine for me. And he's wanting to talk to them in their situation. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In the Greek, you can actually emphasize different words in different ways than you can in English. In English, all we have available to us is to italicize something or, or put something in bold type. Uh, they can change the structure of the sentence. They can move things around all over the place. And this sentence, this actually this whole verse that we're looking at, these, these four verses, it's one sentence in the Greek. And what Paul is doing here is he is emphasizing this idea. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. And everything else is kind of subject to that. And when he says that, what do you think of when, it, when, when you think, yeah, how is one to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? What does that look like? What does that mean? You know, we often come up really quickly with morality, don't we? That we think of moral behavior. I remember growing up in a church, and uh, it was kind of a legalistic church when I was a kid, and we couldn't listen to rock music, couldn't go to certain movies. We, we, we couldn't. My mom grew up in the same type of church. She couldn't own a television. There's lots of rules, lots of legalism. And that was seen as a way of conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Today we tell people, don't do this, don't do that. I remember when I was a kid, it was like, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do, you know. We had these little pithy statements even of, of our morality. And I want you to look at what Paul says, because that's not what he has in mind. I suppose that's a piece of it, but that's not what he has in mind here. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The idea is that to, be wor- to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is to be unified couple times he says, one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And it's so interesting to me because it's so often the case, isn't it, that churches get divided in ways? You get factions, you get people that are upset about the music, you get people upset about the preaching, you get upset about the pastor, you get upset about the... And there's a bazillion things to get upset about in church. Believe me, I know, I spend a lot of time upset about things in this church. I'm sure you do too. 
And it's easy to get upset about things in church. But Paul is trying to remind us that there's something at stake. None of this is new information to the Philippians. None of this should be new information to you. Paul is reminding us. He is telling them, remember that there's something at stake. And what does he say? Twice in this passage, he says, what's at stake is the color of the carpet. No, 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 that's not what he says. I get confused sometimes when I read the Bible and think about things in my own life. What he says is what's at stake is the gospel. Right? What's at stake is the gospel. If you can't come together, Philippians, if you can't work together as the church, I want to remind you what's at stake. The gospel. Not you're right, they're wrong. Not you win, they lose. It's the gospel, the proclamation that Jesus is Savior and Lord of the world. That's what's at stake. So conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of this message. Stand firm as one. Stand together in the Spirit, the one Spirit as one. Paul wants to remind us that the gospel is at stake. Do we always remember this? (laughs) Do you remember this when you are out and about in your daily life in Ray, Colorado? That there is an audience and people could be watching you. How you talk about folks at church. How you talk about your family members. How you conduct yourself in your business dealings. How you handle yourself in a frustrating line at Dollar General. That there are people that are looking to see, is Jesus worth following or am I doing just fine without him? There are people watching. And you and I, if we claim to be allegiant followers, loyal followers of Jesus, you have an audience. People are watching you. Paul also is reminding them that this standing firm together is a key idea. That if we complain and argue, it makes Jesus look silly and ridiculous. Have you ever experienced this in a church? Have you ever experienced this outside of church where people complain and they argue? and just... Those folks, last I checked, aren't much fun to be around. Thank God for caller ID nowadays, right, gang? I mean, there's times, don't you have those folks? Come on, you have those folks. We all have those folks, right? You might be related to some of those folks. You might... If you don't have those folks, you're that folk, okay? (laughs) But caller idea has made it possible for us to go, I just don't have time for this. I don't have the energy for this. Because there are people who are toxic people. There are people who are complainers. There are people who are arguers. There are people that just, uh, they just suck it out of you. Erwin McManus, a pastor in L.A., he used to talk about how his church was helping this 
couple, they gave money, they, he spent time with them, he kept going to their house, and one time, the church, I mean, he was lucky to be paid by this church at times, because it just was in a difficult part in LA, uh, folks were just really struggling to make ends meet, and this particular month, Irwin and his family were just barely scraping by because the church wasn't able to pay them what they normally did. And he had to go to this family and say, you know, there's just no money in the kitty to help you out. Now, usually when a pastor has that conversation with somebody, they tend to be gracious and understanding. Hey, I understand. Thank you so much for your help. But these folks, that's not how they reacted. What do you mean? I knew you'd let us down. It's just like churches to not come through for us. I mean, there was no focus, no emphasis, no thanksgiving for what had been done in the past. It was all about how we're not getting ours now. And Irwin was just shocked with what was going on. And they left his church in a fuss, angry, complaining, arguing, and he was happy to see them go. But he also wrestled with, should I call and warn the next pastor? There are people who are leeches. There are people who are toxic. There are people who complain and they argue and they make Jesus look unappealing. They make Jesus look silly. They make Jesus look ridiculous. Why is that? Well, I mean, if we keep looking at how the church is supposed to function, Paul is talking about how the church should function here, that we are to be one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. The word there that's being translated uh, from the Greek for frightened, it's more like a, a horse being spooked. Uh, it, it has this overtone of intimidation. I think it's almost better to, to translate it, don't be intimidated by them. Don't be intimidated in any way by those who oppose you. And if you think about the situation these folks are in in Philippi, where they have lost income, uh, they have lost means of taking care of themselves and their family. They have been in jail. They have been before the elders, the leaders in the marketplace. <laughs> Paul says, don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. Wow. Church, that's something Christians, believers in America need to hear today. Because sometimes they're the most frightened group of folks I know. Oh my gosh. Look at the culture. Look at everything going on. Focus on the family. American civil justice community, education, whatever. And it's all these funds and everybody's freaking out. And blah. We would do well to remember that Paul's word, the Holy Spirit's word to us is don't be intimidated. Why? Because this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Okay, uh, uh, what? Help, help me unpack that. Paul is saying that when you are being persecuted in this life, it's evidence that you are being saved. Jesus said as much. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. You see, when we are persecuted, 
for Jesus Christ, it is evidence that we are different than the world around us. It is evidence that we are serving a different king than the world around us. Think of the poor folks in Philippi. It is a staunchly Roman colony. They are proud Romans. It's actually a place where there is emperor worship going on. There is a cult built around the emperor, built around Rome. It is a mechanism. It is a liturgy to keep the people loyal to Rome. And if you go outside of these liturgies, your allegiance to Rome is questioned. And then before you start going, wow, that's really weird. Think about the NFL kneeling players with the national anthem. Their loyalty to our country is questioned because they fail to participate in a national liturgy that demonstrates allegiance to the nation, correct? That's the only way to explain it. That's why people get angry about it. That's why it gets folks so irritated because they're not being good patriots. What if there comes a day and age where you have to, and by the way, this is not shocking. This is not surprising. It has happened in nearly every nation in world history since Jesus died and rose again. There has come a time in every nation where there has been persecution against the church and there has had to be a decision of your allegiance. Is it to the earthly king and state or is it to the heavenly king and state? In fact, that's what the language that Paul is using here. It is asking the citizens of heaven to show their allegiance to Christ, the gospel, the Messiah. And this would be a dilemma they have nearly every day in Philippi. Every day. In fact, later in Galatians, we'll get to this, but... This is the only book, only letter that Paul writes where he, uh, he puts together the two words, Jesus is Savior and Lord, and uses them as a compound idea. And the reason he does that is because Philippi, the Roman cult, the belief, the statement, the, the liturgy that you had to, re, to say was Caesar is Savior and Lord. And the church clearly goes, uh-uh, <laughs> no. In fact, Paul's use of this word gospel, he is co-opting a word that is used by the Romans. Caesar is the gospel. Caesar is the good news. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. There's a better king. There's a better savior. There's a better Lord. And it is better good news. The dilemma of these poor Philippians, but their suffering is evidence that they are being saved. You know, we have folks watching us, and there are kids leaving the church in alarming rates today. And I want to encourage you that don't allow your complaining, your being upset in your marriage don't let it be a reason that your kid walks away from christ because you say and do one thing at church but then when the doors shut at home 
something else happens. Don't be the reason people walk away from Christ. Paul goes on. Now look at what he says here. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. See, Paul is wanting to change the Philippians' mindset. He wants them to share in his mindset that even though I am in prison, the gospel is advancing, and that's the good thing. And whether I live or die, I am in a no-lose situation. My suffering is being used by Christ to advance the gospel. And Paul wants the Philippians to understand that the same thing is going on in their lives, that God has not abandoned them. It's amazing, isn't it? Because when we suffer, when we run into hardship, when we experience a little bit of pushback against our plans, our desires, our dreams, we instantly think, oh, God's against me. Why isn't God helping? Where is he? Why am I abandoned? What's going on? Am I doing it wrong? And the second that we start to run into some difficult situations, we start to wonder if he's abandoned us, if he's left us. But Paul is wanting the Philippians to see that suffering is normal. In fact, say that with me. Suffering is normal. Now, everything in my being hates that comment in my disneyland of world history life everything about me says no 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 no. suffering is unusual suffering is the abnormal but paul the scriptures are clear suffering is normal in fact he wants to normalize this so much that he is telling us the language he uses here verse 29 for it has been granted the greek root word of this is related to the word grace for it has been gifted to you on behalf of jesus one of the gifts god gives you i mean think about this if we were to tell you god has two gifts for you oh oh okay cool cool what's the first gift believe Okay, cool. So he's going to give me the gift to believe in him. That's awesome. So now I have ability, I have supernatural ability to believe in God, to be loyal and to follow God. That's a really good gift. What's the next gift? Like laser eyes or like flying or like supernatural ability to like know what my wife needs the moment she, before she knows she needs it. That'd be handy. Uh, Supernatural ability to discipline my child in a way that they get it. And then all the lights come on with just telling them one time to take out the trash. I mean, what's the next gift? And the next gift is suffer. It's like you've been cordially invited by Jesus to believe and to suffer. It's an invitation from Jesus. It's a gift from God. And you're like, what planet is Paul from? What is going on here? I don't get it. Is there a gift receipt I can send the second one back with? Is there a way that I can... The belief part is cool. I'm fine with it. But suffering... You see, 
our following Jesus should look like Jesus. How did Jesus say it? If you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Oh, okay, so like that little shiny necklace that I put around my neck that makes me look better? It's the cross? No. You mean that nasty, ugly, horrible torture device that led to your excruciating death? Yeah. You see, our discipleship is shaped like our Lord's life. Paul gets it. That's why he's able to rejoice in prison. And he's saying to us, that's why you should be able to rejoice in your suffering. It's a gift of God. It demonstrates to you and the world that you're being saved. That God is saving you. Somehow we still feel shocked. Somehow we still feel like God has overlooked us. That He doesn't care. And one of the things I think of is this last verse that Paul uses to help them steal themselves. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. For those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, and we looked at Acts chapter 16 to begin this message, this series, Paul and Silas were taken before the leaders of the town of Philippi in the marketplace, and the verdict for them was strip them naked in public and beat them, and then throw them in jail in the stocks. And I would be shocked if this didn't have some kind of psychological and physical kind of mess up for Paul and Silas. I wouldn't be surprised at all that this was a a traumatic event in their lives. You ever have those dreams where you show up naked somewhere? Right? That was Paul's experience in real life. Not only that, they beat him. They flogged him, the scripture tells us, severely. There were people who came to follow Jesus in Philippi and they witnessed what Paul went through. They watched the cost of following Jesus that Paul paid. They stood there and watched him. Maybe some of them were leaders that condemned him and now that Jesus got a hold of them, they follow Christ and they've changed their ways. They watched him suffer. And Paul says, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, Perhaps E. Diddy was beaten, stripped, naked in his hometown. Perhaps others that he has relayed to Paul, you know, they're doing the same thing to us that happened to you and Silas. It's still going on. And Paul says, you know what? I left Philippi and it's still happening to me where I'm at now. I'm still in jail. I'm still in chains. I'm still beaten. And this is supposed to encourage you You feeling encouraged? You see, the reality is some of us need to get tougher skin. 
The reality is that there is a challenge for all of us to navigate this life with tough skin but soft hearts. Because the converse of that is lethal. Thin skin and a hard heart. And Paul wants us to navigate, the Holy Spirit wants us to navigate this life with thick skin and a soft heart. And that's what Paul and Silas were learning and experiencing. Just think what that looks like from somebody who is trying to follow, whether they want to figure out if they want to follow Jesus or not, and they watch you and they see that you are not easily offended. And things roll off your back but you still care about them. You care about others. That things just roll off you, that you have thick skin but a soft heart. But we've heard plenty of stories, haven't we, of people who are the opposite? That they're easily ruffled, that they're easily offended, that they easily feel overlooked, and that their thing's not the most important thing. They have hard hearts towards people. You know, that is really messing things up. You know, those people really need to. Which one are you? Be super honest. Looking in the mirror may not be the most helpful. Maybe you need to grab a spouse. Maybe you need to talk to your kid. Maybe you need to talk to a coworker, an employee, an employer. Maybe you need to get some serious feedback of whether you truly have thick or thin skin. Whether you truly have a soft or hard heart. Because my guess is most of us are going to lie to ourselves about this. Gang, we have to be people who suffer well for the sake of Christ. We have to be people who learn that it is a grace given to us. It is a gift given to us from God that we would believe in Him and that we would suffer. The only reason this is so shocking to us all because I think the prosperity gospel and other lies from the pit of hell have gotten a hold of some of us in some way. And we've started to believe lies from the father of lies that says if you follow Jesus, everything's going to work out fine in this life. You're going to have stuff. You're going to be happy. Your marriage is going to be awesome. Your kids are going to be fantastic. You're going to be popular. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to drive an amazing car. Everything's going to go to plan if you follow Jesus. And if you don't hear the hiss of the serpent in those words, you're not listening well. Because there is a hiss. And it is a promise from a serpent from of old. You see what Jesus promises, what he grants us, right? Is belief in him and suffering. So who's with me? We're going to pass a clipboard around. We're going to sign up. You know, how do we do this? 
It doesn't come from your own ability. It doesn't come from your own strength. You can't do this. You can't suffer well. You are wired up to have thin skin and a hard heart. It is a miracle that gives you thick skin and a soft heart. And it is the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It is the work of the Holy Spirit and the gospel to change you from the inside out, to make you into a new creation, to make you someone who has thick skin but who pursues people, who has thick skin, can take a beating and keep on ticking, right? It is the gospel. It is Christ who changes your perspective on these things, who gives you the opportunity, the ability, the gift to do this. Some of you are going to leave today and you are going to beat yourself up. Ah, I don't suffer well. I'm terrible. What is wrong with me? I got to quit. Steve said. What you need is infusion of the Holy Spirit. You need to go to that with you need to go with that to God, to your heavenly Father, and say, God, I don't suffer well sometimes. Guess what? You're gonna find me at the front of that line. Because I'm not sitting here going, Steve, you need to just try harder, because you just I need to be at the front of the line saying, God, you've given me the gift of belief. You're giving me the gift of suffering. Is there more gifts? Grace, mercy, peace. In fact, it tells us that the gifts of the Spirit are love and joy and peace. He's got more gifts for us, gang. Paul, though, told them this because this was their situation. This is what they were going through. This is what they needed to hear So if you're not suffering well, you need to talk to God about that. You need to ask him for help in that. It's not something that you can just power through with your own ability. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for the Holy Spirit guiding him directing him, telling him, print it, that's good Bible. Because there's going to be a bunch of folks someday that think suffering is unusual. Father, we just pray that you would help us. You would help us with this gift that you've given us. The gift to believe in you and this gift of suffering. Help us to understand how they're related, that this is evidence of our belief in you. This is evidence that we live as citizens in the heavenly kingdom. Help us, Father, with the power of the Holy Spirit to have thick skin and soft hearts. Change us. Make us into who you want us to be. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You're going to need it because he gave you the gift of suffering. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I encourage you to visit Michaela at her table and uh, stick around for